Please listen carefully. G'day. You're listening to City Speak with Greg Van and Stephen Yarwood, a podcast about cities by people who love cities and want you to love your city too. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of City Speak. And Stephen, I'm really, really excited today. Do you know why? Well, yeah, well, we are going to have an incredibly engaging conversation today with uh, one of, if not Australia's best uh, community engagement specialist. Um, uh, what do you know about, before Becky talks, because I know she's sitting there ready to go and she's giggling already, um, what do you know about Becky, uh, Greg? I just know Becky mainly through what you've told me, Stephen. I know she's a very good friend and she's obviously a leader in her field of that engagement, hence your quite humorous um, title for the uh, uh, the whole session. But uh, also, I, I know Becky has written a book, and I'm always impressed by anyone who's written a book. All right. Well, if that's the case, poor Becky. Hi. <laughs> Hello. How are you both? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's trying to catch up to me, Becky, but I managed to sort of move ahead all the time. Yeah. Thank you very much. Enough of that. We're here to talk about <laughs> you. So let's let's move on. And I'm always going to sort of start with, uh, well, there's a whole pile of questions I'd like to ask, mm. like what the hell is a, is community engagement? But I am going to say there's an accent there. So what's your story, Becky? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. What is my story? Uh, where shall I start? 1978 in Gloucester in the southwest of England. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was born in the UK. Um, uh, grew up in a beautiful town called Gloucester City um, in the southwest of England. Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. But in my mid-20s, I came backpacking to Australia and fell in love with Australia. Um, met Dan, my other half here. He's actually English as well. We met in a backpacker bar in Sydney. Uh, so we fell in love with each other, fell in love with Australia. Um, and to cut a long story short, we decided to make Australia our home. So we migrated here back in 2007 um, and chose to come and live in your fine state, Stephen. We chose South Australia. And we'd only been here as backpackers um, for one weekend. Uh, when we were deciding where we wanted to permanently migrate to. Um, but we'd been to the cricket and we'd been to the Barossa Valley. So we we were like, well, there's cricket and there's wine. I think that sounds like a good choice. So we chose it as our, our forever home. Um, yeah, and then moved here and migrated. And now years later, we're citizens. We've got two beautiful Australian daughters. And yeah, we're, we're now fully, fully Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. So that's a very that's a very sort of short version of a very long story. No, that, that, that's a that's a great version of it, and uh, I'm really glad you picked South Australia because I was in Greg's part of the world recently, and it's a beautiful one day, and it's totally flooding the next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's a, we like to do things. We don't do things by halves up here, Stephen. You know. Oh. You should have seen the water. I went up there and it rained for days and then Greg sent me a video of, of the water flow going down his his street. But anyway, let's, uh, oh. you know, it's, a, it's a, also a, it is a beautiful uh, part of the world. But also I am going to say that you live in a very particular part of the world, Becky, is a, um, in uh, McLaren Vale. And uh, we also yeah. have a little bit in common in that we've both been Airbnb hosts. So I'm also going to be a, put in a little bit of an ad for the fact that you've got a... Uh, well, now it's the what's it called the upper it's called yeah no it's called the top shed it's basically the top shed on our property yeah in mclaren vale we love it we we host all sorts of different people obviously it's been a strange couple of years um but you know we're starting to get the interstate travelers back now and soon the international will be coming through and yeah we're loving it we love having people to stay on our property you know give a real unique experience so yes that's a that's a little side hustle of ours <laughs> Yeah, you know, we all need side hustles. Community engagement. Now, we've got, I guess we'll start with the fact that you've got a book called For the Love of Community Engagement, Insights from a Personal Expedition to Inspire and uh, Better Public Participation. Um, so I, I almost don't really know where to start because there's so much so much to community engagement. Um, let's let's almost finish on the book and, and give the book a plug at the end so that once people have once people have sort of you know got what you're talking about, they they'll want it, they want to know where and how to uh, get the book and why they want to read it so so what's the what, what how did you two questions i guess is they're huge questions is how did, how, how did you get and what did inspired you to get into communication into community engagement and then then you should probably just sort of throw it around you know what, what's community engagement in one sentence because that's so easy surely well yeah i can probably try and do that second question first let's start with what is community engagement just in case people are thinking should i carry on listening to this episode <laughs> So 
Community engagement, um, in a nutshell, is the process of involving people in decisions that affect them or that interest them. So that, that's, for me, a really beautiful summary. It's involving people in decisions that affect or interest them. Um, so, you know, getting people involved in making decisions about where they live or things that interest them or services that they use, um, you know, the entire world around them, people need to be involved in making decisions. Um, so that's, that's, I'll, I'll park that there and we can come back to that. Um, I what think we you all, should what, flesh that out. There's no doubt. Oh, definitely. Out. Definitely. So, well, how did you um, get involved? How did I get involved in this? Again, let me tell you a short version of the long story. I started working in the field of community involvement in 1999. I graduated from the University of Leeds um, in England. I graduated with a degree in contemporary dance, which is a bit of a unique um, degree to have. Um, so I'm a Bachelor of the Arts with honours. And I decided back then I was 21. I was feeling a bit old. <laughs> I wanted a proper job. And so I decided to give up the dance. But what I had specialised in, my thesis, my final year at uni had been all about the arts in the community. And I'd really picked up on this concept of community and that I loved the idea of communities of place, communities of interest, communities of action, communities of circumstance. It really fascinated me. And so I moved back to my hometown, Gloucester, and um, at the time in the late 90s, um, I don't know how across the UK politics you are, but we've been through many, many, many years of Thatcher um, and, and the Conservative years and Labour, New Labour, as they were called, um, with Tony Blair leading the party, um, had come in in 1979. And so they were a couple of years in and Tony Blair um, was pretty famous at the time for doing, I think, one of the biggest public spends possible. He kind of went quite wild on public spending because he really wanted communities back involved. He wanted to bring people out to get them involved in where they live to really kind of boost society. So there was all these really fascinating jobs around. So it was just this massive movement towards community in the UK in the late 90s. And so I managed to pick up a job in my hometown in a, a particular area of quite high deprivation. It's called Matson, very, very dense urban living, high deprivation, all sorts of issues. Um, and I scored a job called Community Involvement Officer. And it was actually funded through the National Lottery. So it wasn't a government funded position, but it was just the thing to be in at that time in the late 90s. And from there, I went on to do all sorts of different things, specializing in community involvement. So I worked a lot in the health sector. Um, I, I managed a, an amazing project called the Living and Learning Centre, which was based in a leisure centre in, in the centre of Gloucester, the city, um, really about promoting health, promoting education to people living in that inner city area. And yeah, it, did, and just, it continually evolved um, in, in just becoming known as this sort of specialist. And obviously somebody, uh, apparently I'm pretty passionate about community. And then when I moved to Australia uh, as a, a new migrant um, and became a citizen here, but within about six months of arriving, I'd done a bit of work at a Metropolitan Council here in Adelaide, and I realised I was perhaps a bit, oh, dare I say, progressive in my thinking <laughs> in relation to community engagement. And so it was at that point I decided um, I wanted to have my own business and that my skills were really lacking in the marketplace. And those skills were really about getting communities really involved genuinely in stuff happening in their local communities. So I set up Becky Hurst Consulting back in 2009. And um, yeah, my feet haven't touched the ground since. So yeah, here we are, community engagement specialist. Wonderful story. Uh, uh, thanks, thanks, Becky. And I, I really do like your, um, your simple definition or, you know, scope of what community engagement is, because those two aspects that you know, getting people genuinely involved in decisions that either affect them or they're interested in. You know, there's, there's, it, it, it's a broad field, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I think that interested in, we often think about the people who are affected by something that's happening in their community on their road or whatever, but we do sometimes forget that people are also just interested, you know, and, and it might be that they're interested because it is very local to them or something that they've been involved with, but equally they might be interested because they're ratepayers or taxpayers or, you know, they want to see uh, their money being spent in a particular way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's got a really big definition if we want it, but definitely, yeah, people who are affected by it and people who are interested in are the kind of key people that I use in that definition. 
Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask Greer a question, actually, while you're talking about because the history of community engagement um, has evolved over a long time. And, and can I just, but before we kind of get into sort of like this this notion of, of what progressive community engagement is, because I, I really picked up on, on what Becky was saying there, what, what's your take on how community engagement has, you know, you've been a planner for sort of, you know, 45 years. Um, what, what, what's your take on where community engagement has gone over the last 45 years? Was it, was, did it exist 45 years ago? Not really. I mean, it, it, it wasn't really a thing. And I, I was interested in Becky's commentary about being progressive, you know, or feeling progressive when she got here in the late 90s. And um, so I, I think in the 70s and 80s, you know, government just thought it was, you know, something at most you had to pay lip service to, but you just wanted to get on with government business. Whereas uh, particularly in our part of the world where we've had high growth for 40, all of those, my career, it, it started to become higher and higher up the um, the list of things you need to do to get it right. And uh, so it's gone from, you know, really something that governments resist to really something that governments started to appreciate the value of uh, to something that now um, everyone gets. And, and so we have a lot of community engagement people in our business and we spend a lot of time in this in this space and I've done a lot of this sort of work in, in my career, but you know, there's in the in a forty year plus horizon, it's it's really come from nowhere to to really being central to the best practice of uh, how we design and and advance our communities. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And Becky, so I wanted to ask you where the sort of um, the sort of uh, community engagement you do now and uh, what, where you think it's going in the future. Because I'm going to say, surely, so prog- so progressive communica- uh, community engagement it, it means uh, using Facebook and Pokemon Go. Is that right? <laughs> Pokemon Go. Does that still exist? Um, There's a couple of avenues we could go down here. I'll I'll let you two decide which one you want to go down. There's progressive community engagement with regard to the tools and techniques that we use to get people involved in decision making. And then there's also another avenue which is about how leaders listen to communities Um, because I think they're two kind of separate issues. And when I say progressive, I'm often... I am often thinking about the tools and techniques. So these days we're we're calling it hybrid engagement where you've really got a blend of face-to-face engagement with people. You've got um, your online, your digital tools. You've got maybe written tools and techniques that you're using. So that's, that's definitely having that hybrid engagement in 2022 and beyond is progressive. But equally, this concept of our ultimate decision makers, whether they're politicians, whether that's premier, whether it's mayors, elected members, uh, senior leaders of organisations, it might even be leaders of project teams. The authentic, genuine listening to the community and working maybe in partnership with people in the community, you know, community leaders, that is also progressive, believe it or not. <laughs> so there's a couple of avenues. Uh, which, one, which one floats your boat? What would you like to talk about? <laughs> I don't think it matters, Becky. I think actually there's probably some sense in talking about techniques, which naturally flows into how leaders listen. Well, let's do to me. For me, let let's do both because I think what I think it's really useful because I think people's perception. A lot of people say, "I, I, I well, I know what community engagement is." Is asking people what they think. But there's so much more to it. So, from a technical practitioner's perspective, um, not only would it be good if you could break down some of the tools uh, and techniques, but you know, some really interesting, a couple of ane- anecdotal uh, things too. But do the tools and techniques, then we'll ask you yes. about. Okay, and and what I will add then. What I'll add at the, at the start of this then, connecting those two things, is that you can, you, you can run the most amazing community engagement process with the most incredible tools and techniques that are progressive, contemporary, whatever. But if the decision makers don't listen, then it's all been a waste of time. So I'll start with that disclaimer and then maybe we can come back to it. So tools and techniques. And I'll, I'll also, I like to be a bit controversial. Can I start by telling you what I loathe in community engagement? I absolutely yeah, let's loathe. let's them off. Um, let's say three things. I loathe surveys. I hate them with a passion. I also loathe um, a a sort of version of a survey, which is an online submission form. I hate it. Oh, I'm going to make it four things I hate. The third would be PDF documents that you have to download as a community member and read through 145 pages of technical data to be able to 
find what you want to to comment on. And then finally, the fourth thing that I loathe is the expression "have your say," <laughs> because uh, and you'll need to read the book um, to to get this sort of real you know crux of what I'm getting at. But it's basically I don't like that sort of paternalistic top down. We're making a decision. We're the experts, and we're going to let you, the little people, sort of have your say on it. And and if if we listen to you or not, that's for us to decide. Um. So so those those are the things I don't like. For me, you've just uh, killed a whole pile of myths because I think anyone listening who who had a preconceived notion of what community engagement is going to say, well, what's left? Yes, you are going to. People are going to be thinking that what is left. Um. Look, the reason I hate surveys. Let's start with them because they are at the moment the go-to resource for so many people. They're like, okay, we need to we need to find out what the community think. Let's do a survey. My issue with surveys is that that is basically a kind of a, a transaction just between the organisation or the project team and an individual person in a community. For starters, I mean, who actually enjoys filling in surveys? I don't. I know, and I don't meet many people that do. And you have a few tiny little tick boxes and maybe a little comments form at the end. And, and you know, as a community member, I call it when you hit submit. If it's online, you press that button, and it goes into what I call the black hole of bureaucracy, and you never hear anything about that little response that you just gave ever again and so what I want to see rather than that kind of one-way transaction that individual transaction between the organizational team and that that individual person in the community for starters I want to see more of a conversation happen between that individual person in the community and the project team or the organization so actually have some dialogue some deliberation like debate the issue talk about it share your ideas maybe tell some stories really like listen to each other and, and get that understanding of what you're both working on. But then what I really, really want is for that community member to be able to then have that same conversation with other people in their community and for that project team or that organization to be involved in all of that. So you've got this really rich dialogue going on in the community versus the age-old survey that's just that kind of secret hidden very minute form of communication between two parties. So I'm all about getting the conversation going in communities. Um, and, there, and, and this is leading me on to like heaps of tools and techniques that you can use to get conversation going, which I will tell you about if you want to hear about. <laughs> Let's pursue that because I think we you know, talked about what you don't like. So how do you get yeah. to what you, what you... One of my favourite things to do is a technique called a world cafe. I don't know if you've ever come across them. Um, A world cafe is a very well-known concept around the world, and I love to use it in community visioning processes. So the idea is you get a group of people in a community. I recently did this in a township here in South Australia. Um, The township is a regional one, about 650 people in that township, and we actually had 65 people turn up for a cost of 10% of the population turn up for a conversation about the future of that town. And with a world cafe, you have everybody in small groups at small tables. You'd call it cabaret style if you're, if you're looking for a, a way to set up the room. Um, you have them set up in the small tables, you know, six to eight people per table. You pose an overarching thought provoking question such as, what do you want for the future of this town? What will this town look like in, let's say, 2050 for your benefit, Stephen? And let, you That's know, a what good do you want in, That's a in, good question. Yeah, in 10 years' time, you know, and you pose this big open-ended question for people and you get them talking to each other. And I actually, I don't even get them taking notes at this point. And you, everybody talks in these small groups about their ideas for the future. And then you mix people up using a world cafe. So you mix them up a couple of times, maybe about four times. So everybody gets to meet different people. And these conversations evolve. And you don't change the overarching question. You just keep them having that conversation. And by the end of this hour or two hours of people having these amazing conversations, because you've been doing this mixing up, you're finding that different ideas are starting to spread around the room. And people are listening to each other. People are understanding each other. And then I take it a step further. And I actually get people to prioritize what they've just talked about and actually come up with a set as a whole group of you know eight to ten principles or priorities that they want for their particular town and so this is a technique that I just adore because it gets people talking sharing communicating deliberating all of the above and that that for me is what gets me passionate about communities and community engagement 
yeah. That's a great example, Becky. And in fact, if I may, I'm actually going to, because a lot of the time people sort of say, what do you do as a futurist? And this is kind of relevant because, um, you know, Greg's sort of obviously been involved in community engagement and I've done my fair share of it, including knocking on every single door of an entire capital city and walking 900 kilometres to do so. That was interesting. Um, but oh, I'm not even going to get there today. But uh, with those, um, the, the, those uh, world cafes, um, they're often sometimes, a, um, uh, something similar, but probably a little bit bigger, as a community cabinet uh, kind of kind of approach. And I've I've been engaged uh, at the start of those. When you ask that question, what what would you like your town to look like in the year twenty fifty? I've done this for Warrnambool and uh, Wodonga, um, and it's and it's about going along as a, I do the opening speech often. And one of the, the challenges is people will say, oh, I want uh, more car parking or I want all the potholes fixed. And I often come in and do the whole, you do realise the world is going to completely change and you actually want, you know, uh, you know, better housing, housing diversity. You're going to wage. You're going to want to live somewhere where you can walk to social services. Um, you know, you're going to want a cosmopolitan lifestyle. You're going to want more public space. You're not going to want more bitumen. You want more trees. And so, so it's always really fascinating to to see get people's eyes to look beyond what they want on their street on their uh, on the day versus having that conversation. It must be really inspiring for you to get get people excited about the future because that's something that what you do that excites me is that you get people excited about the future. Exactly, or, or, or even the current day about their communities. You know, I'm really looking for people to have that sense of ownership and that sense of belonging of where they live, um, or, or something that they're you know involved with. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, that that future thinking is is so good. And but this means you know we need to get communities involved early in stuff. Um, you talked about community panels there as well, or community cabinets, which I think what you're referring to is um, it's another style of engagement that is quite popular at the moment, which is representative engagement. So I did this recently for a council here where I got 100 people together um, who were representative of the demographic of that particular council area. So we did, you know, a, balance, a really spot on balance of gender. So actually 52 of those 100 people were women. Um, we had a really good balance across all of the ages from age 15 up to 80 plus we had um we used uh, cultural diversity the measure being languages spoken at home so we had really perfect diversity in the room for that uh, we had our aboriginal and torres strait islander representation um and also you know any if people had been involved with that particular council or not and where they live in that city so this is coming from the idea that, you know, many of the tools and techniques that we use often attract only a particular demographic. Um, and so how do we reach that broader voice of kind of everyday people that want to get involved in a conversation? And so there are these sort of techniques now like this. This is happening particularly a lot in Victoria at the moment, um, this representative approach. Um, and I'm loving it. I think it's a really good technique to use. Uh, so imagine, you know, getting 100 people together that are representative and then using something like a World Cafe to get the conversation going. It's magic. Brilliant. It's what the world needs. I was going to play devil's advocate there, Becky, but I think you've answered it. But, I, you know, the people who are, I guess, a little unsure or afraid even of, of genuine consultation will say, if, if you just let people self-select into that room of 65, how do you ensure that you don't just get the squeaky wheels with the particular agenda? And so the, uh, the, the 100 people selected to give you that diversity is, is a simple way to answer that, isn't it? You actually got a re representative group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, a really good technique. And I'm seeing more and more community engagement practitioners using that. Um, and I think because those of us that have used it with that diversity in the room, you really see it and you feel it. Um, another thing I was just going to add, Stephen, you mentioned there about, you know, the way that you're able to sort of talk to people in that those spaces about the future. And have they thought that we won't be using cars in whenever, whatever year? Or, And I think there's really, again, if we're going to provide opportunity for dialogue, that dialogue doesn't just have to be between community members, but between the, the, the experts such as yourselves and the community to kind of get that shared learning and shared understanding. Um, you know, they can learn a lot from you and you can learn a lot from them. And it's that sort of mutual, um, yeah, respect, I guess. 
um, of working together. Yeah, look, that's that's a that's a really great point. Um, uh, and so you you are touching on all the all the all the points that I knew you would. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, almost going back, there's another one too. The another chapter is go where the people are. Well, you see, for too many decades now, we have been hosting, um, you know, come to this focus group in the city council building uh, on Wednesday, the, you know, let's, what's the most midwinter date, you know, Wednesday, the 1st of July in, in Adelaide, it'd be freezing, you know, it'd be dark. We're going to hold it at 7 PM. You know, you've got to go, you've got to pick up your kids from school, finish work, get home, get the dinner on, do all that, get the kids to bed, book the babysitter, go out to this meeting. And, you know, just people don't want to, unless it's something that they are incredibly, you know, uh, emotional about or angry about that they have to get to people aren't going to voluntarily come to your meeting in your city council on a cold dark winter's evening so when i talk about going where the people are it's actually about um i I say these days a lot you can't do community engagement from a desk you need to get out you need to go to where people are where they already meet and now in many instances that's actually online these days so online engagement is now incredibly popular and in the last couple of years we were kind of forced into it um, and it's shown so many of my clients, it's actually a really good way to reach so many more people. You know, it's where they are. And that, that again, disclaimer, not everybody is online, but so many people are. And so many people that you wouldn't typically get coming to that cold community meeting in a city council building on a winter's night, you know. So, yeah, go, go, go and find the people wherever they might be because <laughs> they'll be interested. It does remind me, and I don't think I've ever told Greg this story either, but um, when I was running for Lord Mayor, um, I did a whole pile of meet and greets at, at pubs or cafes through my election campaign. And even though I was running for Lord Mayor, um, I literally, and I put out something like 25,000 flyers, um, o- only about three people turned up to every single one of a- a- any of those. Um, and they were, at the, <laughs> they were at pubs where there's alcohol right around the corner from where they were. And so, um, you know, people always be right. I, I love the fact that you're talking about feeding the kids and, you know, the, the weather and getting the groceries done and working long hours because, you know, I once saw Jesus Christ advertising at the football and I have to admit I, I, over Easter once and I thought if Jesus Christ has to advertise, we're, we're all, in, all in really big trouble. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, Becky, I'd, I'd be interested there. So we've covered one uh, technique quite quite well. What's next on the list? Oh, let me tell you about another. Well, I'm talking about face-to-face techniques here. Um, I'll tell you another face-to-face technique that I love. Um, it's called open space technology, and it's where you set up. Again, it's for a gathering of people in person. Open space technology, though, is amazing because you have no agenda set. <laughs> a bit like this podcast today. So what happens is you turn up, you invite people to come to a meeting about uh, what could the topic be? Uh, Let's just say again, the future of a city. How how do we make this city, you know, the most livable city in the world, let's say. And we invite people to come to this event and we make it all accessible by holding it at a good time and in a place that people are going to feel comfortable coming to and so on. But we set no agenda. And when people turn up, the first thing we have to do that's facilitated is we set the agenda together. So in that scenario, now I have actually, I've done this in Adelaide. It's, I've written about it in the book. It's called Co-Create Adelaide. Worked on it with a fab guy called John Baxter. Do you remember John Baxter? Yep. Yeah, we, we worked on a thing called Co-Create Adelaide, which was just us mucking about, but hired out, uh, you know, Plant 4, actually, the old warehouse there. I don't think it's even an old warehouse anymore, is it? It's all fancy uh, and new. No, it's, <laughs> interestingly enough, that's uh, on a good day, that's a stone's throw from where I'm recording right now. And it's yeah. hardcore hipster very cool and uh you can get a pretty decent drop of anything even though none of us drink you can actually <laughs> one of the biggest liquor licenses in south australia but there's also lots of great food and live music and stuff anyway well i on. was there i was there with john baxter doing this thing called co-create adelaide way before it was cool when it was actually cool it was a disused warehouse and we had about 60 people turn up i reckon to that one and there was no agenda set and we and we literally pitched the question something like what do you want for the future of adelaide and people, the stuff that ended up on the agenda was just amazing. Um, the, oh, all sorts. I remember people talking about um, growing food in their front yards and uh, childcare solutions. Uh, you know, there's just all sorts of rich topics that came from the people who attended. 
And so then you set your agenda, it all goes up on the wall, people then run their own little mini meetings at this event, and people meet each other. And the beautiful thing about open space technology is if you're in a little meeting with people, and you feel like you're not offering anything, and you're not getting anything from it, you walk away, it's called the law of two feet. So there's no kind of like wasting your time. You just get in there and you talk about the stuff you want to talk about. And, you know, I, I love this, but it's, it's a technique not for the faint hearted because, you know, there is no agenda until the people get there and set it. Uh, but it's true citizen led decision making right then and there on the day. Um, and I, I just love that that idea of people being very capable to set their own agendas and to talk about the future. So when you get a group of people together, like the, the, some of the uh, techniques you've been using, there people are in the community now. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, in five years' time, that community will be like at least half different. You know, half half yeah. the population will have moved yeah. or there or whatever. You know. So how do you take account of that? So if you're trying to, if you're thinking, right, we need a conversation about the future and who is going to be moving here in the future. I mean, if you really want to get to this depth. You can. You just need to plan for it. You need to be thinking about where are these people going to be coming from? Uh, Where are our future citizens going to be migrating from or move? You know, which city are they coming from to us? You know, for example, we could say Melbourne might know that there's going to be an influx of university graduates from Adelaide because that's a, a pattern we know happens. You know, people get to that age in Adelaide, they graduate, they leave, they go to Melbourne in search of the bright lights. Um, you know, maybe is it about having conversations about the future of Melbourne with those students currently in university? Like I, I'm just kind of going down a, a, on a wild goose chase here. But, but you know, you can go to that depth if you want to. Um, what I think the point, the point here is it is all far, far, far beyond that survey <laughs> that we typically Indeed. do. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, conscious of time, Becky, I, I, we've, I think that what, what's really important about all of this is, is then uh, this is all well and good, but what happens when it goes into the black hole of bureaucracy? So this is about lead, leaders listening. And you did talk about the, the relationship between the professionals and, and the community in terms of learning uh, and, and from each other. So I think that's a really good start. Um, but when all of this information is gathered, what happens to it and, and how should it be used? Well, for starters, I would like to see the actual decision makers there involved in the community engagement. So whether that is a face-to-face event, whether it's um, an online something, the more senior person you can get actually involved in that, the better, because then they get to hear it direct from the people that they're making decisions on behalf of. Now, often for me, my work is a lot with local councils. So, you know, I would expect to see elected members involved in stuff at a community level because really we're voting people to represent us. So how are they going to represent, how is my elected member representing me if he or she isn't there listening to me speak at a community meeting or, or wherever it might be? Now, before um, you go so, on, so- Becky, before you go on, Greg, <laughs> I actually really want to tell you quickly a story. There was a time uh, uh, many moons ago that I'm starting to forget where I, I, was the, I was the mayor, just in case you didn't know. I was a mayor of a city once upon a time, and I went to a community engagement event as the uh, Lord Mayor to listen to the community, and I had a workshop uh, community engagement expert actually come up to me and tell me to keep my fucking mouth shut the whole time. Was it it me? (laughs) And just listen. (laughs) Take a guess at who that was. Oh, was it me? It was me. You didn't swear. No, I'm only joking, but you did. You you actually, I just said, oh, you know, um, you know, is it okay if I'm hearing? And you said, yeah, 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 but don't say anything, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. Which, Becky, but, but great. Think- it's, that, that's the point is that, you know, we, we get our say all the time. And what I would say is politicians often turn up to those events and see them as an opportunity to win votes and, and get, get re-elected and, and, and throw their personality around and demonstrate how awesome they are. And it's really much more important for them to turn up, shut, sit down, shut up and just <laughs> listen. Yeah, That's I mean, so I agree. I mean, I, I've, I've been in so many forums where you do get the elected representatives come along, which is a great thing, uh, but sometimes they feel like they've got to actually decide something or, you know, say this is what I support or what I don't support, you know, and I think, the you know, if they could just be there and listen to hear what the richness of the conversation's about, it helps them later on when they do have to make decisions about things. But it blows my mind that we even have to have this conversation. And, and, you know, it's been working out in my mind over the years that 
what I do isn't rocket science, but it actually doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. And so I love the fact that you, I don't remember that moment, Stephen, where I told you not to say anything, but I love that you remember it. That kind of gives me uh, permission almost to keep telling elected members, just be quiet, just listen. And, and, and it surprises me that I need to tell them that, but that is, that all comes down to my specialism and what, you know, what I'm good at, which is that listening and that understanding and that compassion for people and giving them their space to speak and that it's not all about the person that's been elected. So yeah, it's fascinating. So, yeah, in relation to, I think, your original question, Stephen, about, you know, what happens then, I, I would love to see the decision makers actively involved in, in the process. Um, then it is tricky, you know, you can't please everybody, but a, a good engagement process, you would hope, if it's been really thorough, that by the time a decision gets made, the people who've been involved with it should really understand why that decision has been made in that way. So they might not agree with it, but they at least have been on a journey and they're like, well, OK, that wasn't the solution I was looking for, but I know why they've made that decision. So that's the ideal world stuff of where you want to get to. How should the politicians listen? You know, you were talked before actively about uh, not talking in those events, but you know the second part of beyond the techniques was how, how you know what what are the skills what how is the what approach should they be taking to be the most effective in the community engagements? It's actually such a good question, isn't it? And look, this, I'm, I'm talk, we're talking about here about elected members, but the same goes for any technical experts that are you know fronting up to meet with community. Um, look, it's, it comes down to you know being really conscious of your own voice and your own opinion. Um, I've actually come up with a term that, well, I don't know if I came up with it. I was working with a guy over in um, Victoria called Paul Cooperman, and we were running a, a thing called a Kidfrance. Uh, he was organising it. It was a conference for children by children. So they organised everything. And I was going along as the sort of keynote speaker. But Paul and I decided that rather than be the keynote speaker, um, I'd actually be the keynote listener. And I so so what I love, and this is such a good title to give to those kind of important people that are coming along, tell them they're the keynote listener, because it gives them a job very distinctively. It tells them that they are important. They are a person of knowledge, whatever the definition of keynote might be, uh, but that their role is very specifically to listen. And listening, to say it bluntly, does mean shutting up <laughs> and taking an taking an active interest in what's being said and not thinking about your response whilst the other person is still speaking, you know, really deeply listening. It's a skill that we've all lost, to be honest. We all need to work on it. Mm, I think not only listening, but also then actioning things. I think, um, and this is just a reflection on where I'm at at the moment, the number of people that uh, we're all so busy, um, but the most important thing is to not only um, act, uh, sort of listen, but actually action things, but actively do it and demonstrate that uh, as well. So, and following up, I think that's a part of the community engagement too, is, is you know, it does go into a black hole. So, it's really important to go back and tell people that you've listened to them and what the outcome was and, uh, and maybe even sort of explain, you know, half the community wanted this, half the community wanted that, um, you know, we didn't have that much money. It, I think also one of the great things about a community engagement is actually also articulating what you can't have. It's very easy for to overpromise and, and underdeliver. So helping getting people to sort of say even things like, you know, we've got this much money, what do you want in? But most importantly, what do you want out as well? I like I like to use the expression um, explain the dilemma to people. You know, be be upfront to the community. Say, look, our dilemma is this. If we spend this on that, that will happen. If we do that with that, that will happen. And we need your help in, you know, working out what's the best way forward. Um, so, so, yeah, that sort of dilemma and being really clear with people can help. I like those, I like those two concepts, Becky, uh, explain the dilemma, but also that keynote listening. You know, I like, a song I love, The Living Years, Mike and the Mechanics, you know, back in the day, has a, has a line in it about you can listen as well as you hear. And, uh, you know, we, we're all, we hear things, but we don't listen often, do we? That's a really important skill. Absolutely. And I've written in the book uh, a fair bit, and I talk now a lot about um, what I've learned from the First Nations people in Australia. And I talk specifically about a woman, a woman called Ingrid that I had the pleasure of working with many years ago, who uh, is a First Nations woman here. And she said to me, Becky, you are always on the go. You are always in a rush. You're always taking notes. You're always looking for a solution. And she said, stop. I just need you to stop. I just want you to enjoy the conversation. And sometimes it's that conversation is enough. 
we don't actually have to always find a solution. Sometimes the joy is just in that yarn. So I really love that that idea, you know, that we as a culture rush around constantly looking for solutions. And sometimes just giving ourselves time to sort of just chew the fat is good, healthy. Too right. Often the conversation is is actually more important. You know, people, the voices being heard, having people be able to have the opportunity where people are list, actively listening to them. Uh, out of that, uh, out of that, uh, good things tend to come, don't they? You know, because you sort of stop stop charging around looking for solutions, and you actually stop and 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 listen and reflect. Yeah, exactly, and kind of enjoy the moment, dare I say. And I think that's a, a personal mission for me is, you know, I know a lot of planners that I work with, a lot of council staff. You mentioned the words community engagement and and they kind of get this heavy feeling come over them and they're like, oh, no. And, you know, I think my mission in life might be to say to those people like, no, it can actually be really exciting and really good. And your practice is only going to grow by having all these you know, ideas and contributions and suggestions that then you as the expert can take away and work your magic with. So, you know, I, I really want to change that. I want to shift it from being that heavy feeling of dread to actually like, yay, we're going to engage with the community. <laughs> I think it's time to uh, plug this book and I'm just <laughs> I'm just thumbing through. Uh, so I just wanted to make a couple of quick comments uh, about, the, about the book, if I may. You know, you could talk about this, but I'm, I'm going to give it a crack. And, and one thing that I, I say that I really like about this is one of the chapters is about um, giving the voice to the underdog. And uh, I, I just think that that's a really, really important uh, component of it. And, and I am going to say, Greg, and you probably don't know this, but uh, Becky actually makes reference to me being the underdog <laughs> uh, in that, and that's actually the story of how how we met. But the community often the underdog because it's actually the rich, the elite who get elected, who make the decisions. We're the fortunate ones. We've got the degrees. We've got the jobs. We've got the power. We've got the influence. Um, and if we don't do the right thing, the world's tr truly stuffed. But if we we don't do it with our community um it's never going to happen it's like putting a no smoking sign up and then watching some idiot just smoke a cigarette under it you know it just doesn't really work that way so um the idea of actually giving the voice to the underdog um it, it is really good and i do see becky as a an underdog as well because she has wanted to ruffle feathers and she has wanted to sort of change this this idea of community engagement and and the book itself is a great read in fact there's a quote uh, on the back uh, by by somebody, Greg, you might want to guess who this is. It says, this book is a must read. It challenges the way we've been engaging with communities and champions the cause for a fresh think as we look to the future. That's the quote on the back. Now, um, that, uh, yeah, the guy obsessed with the future. And so, and also, um, and on the inside of the book, it says to Stephen, one of my favorite underdogs. And, and, and Becky, you're, you're also one of my favorite underdogs and so passionate. Aww. And I want you to get, have a chance to give, uh, give the book a, uh, a, a plug. Um, and you can talk about where, where you can get it and, and all of those sorts of things. But I would highly recommend it to people if you're fascinated about how community works. Um, uh, before we do, the only other one is just, uh, I think the other that I'll, I'll do it at the end but i wanted to have a conversation about getting involved in your local community because i think you know if 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 people who are listening don't just listen and and don't you know it doesn't end and they don't do anything differently it's just entertainment what i want to do and i know what greg wants to do and i know what becky wants to do is they want to change the world they want to make a world a better place so let's talk about the, the book and then we'll talk and then we'll all share a, an anecdote or two about um getting involved in our local community so becky is this book worth reading oh of course it is look this book um how do i describe it it was almost like is it about to say it was my coming of age so I, I spent a couple of decades doing community engagement in communities. And as part of a lot of that work, I'd end up the facilitator. And being the facilitator means you kind of need to stay independent on a lot of things. Um, and, and, you know, you, you never really share your opinion. Um, and it was almost, it was my coming of age because it was like, right, now it's time for me to share my opinion on how this has been going. 
Um, and so during lockdowns, at some point, um, I'd, as you know, Stephen, I'd quit alcohol. My mind was clear. Uh, somehow it just all came out of me and I wrote this book. So, um, yeah, it's a definite must read for anybody with a passion for communities or community engagement and who really wants to look to the future and be progressive. Let's use that word again in how they think about community engagement. Definitely. The read is ahead of me yet, Becky, but I think the audience for your book, by the sound of it, is actually for not only those who are passionate about engagement, but those who would really learn a lot by learning how to be passionate about the engagement. Absolutely. I've, I've had so many people from around the world contact me saying, you have reinvigorated my interest and my passion for good community engagement so many people I can't kind of it's just brilliant and I had no idea that it would do that but I just told my story um you know reflected and it formed into these beautiful 20 chapters um and I had my friend and mentor Wendy Sakissian she helped edit the book and then she wrote the forward for me so it really was the most amazing process loved it yeah. So yes, read it, pick it up. If, if you're if you're feeling heavy heavy at the idea of community engagement, yeah, definitely. That's the audience as well. And I do love that mission of yours, you know, in life to actually make this something that people value rather than are uh, you know feel heavy about. So, oh, well, I was just going to say because you've you've um, I've seen you post on it that it's selling uh, pretty well. So this is your chance to tell where you can buy it and 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 how many bestseller lists or or what go on. <laughs> how's it going? How's the book selling? Oh, there's a very a very cool little moment happened when it was launched actually. For a couple of hours, it in fact knocked Hillary Clinton off the top spot in the civics and citizenship um, on Amazon. So, yeah, and, and and Bill Gates, actually. He was somewhere down. He was like at number seven for a moment, um, which was lovely to see. But, no, it's, it's selling really well. Um, it is available everywhere online. Uh, pick your favourite online retailer. It's not actually in any bricks and mortar stores yet. Um, I've had a bit more trouble getting into them. But, yeah, definitely online everywhere. It's available in paperback, hardcover, uh, ebook and audiobook uh, narrated by beautiful Linda Quinn. Um, she's got the most lovely accent that I chose to kind of match mine, but she's got a twist of Irish in there. And so it's lovely to listen to. So just to finish off, in terms of yep. get on it, but in terms of getting on it, there's two things that people can do. They can read this book, but they can also just get involved in their local community. So before before I kick off, because we all live in different communities, um, Greg's got a very interesting neighbour at the end of his street, so I'll, I'll get to that. I, I want Greg to talk about his his community. But in terms of community engagement, I've just moved into Bowdoin uh, Village, which is a, um, a state government urban renewal, um, brownfields uh, redevelopment. Development. And I have a community park at the front, and we we get a, we have a monthly get together with with everyone in our in our little community, and we have a Christmas party, and um and we have great conversations around what needs to be fixed and what needs to be done. Uh, they sometimes know that I might have had something to do with communities in the past, and they ask me to chase things up. Um, but it's just absolutely wonderful. Um, it's about security, it's about companionship, um, it's about taking the bins in when you're you're on you know, traveling. It's it's about are you okay? I haven't seen you around for a few days. Um, it, it really is. It really is special. I'm, I'm going to go to Greg, and then we're, we're going to close off on on Becky's version of getting involved in your local community. Greg, who's the neighbour at the end of your street? Well, uh, there's a person up the end of the road here. Has got quite a big land holding. Who happens to be the governor of Queensland, and so the current governor is Jeanette Young, who was our chief medical officer, who steered us through a lot of the COVID uh, pandemic. But there's a wonderful story about one of the former residents of that uh, establishment. Uh, a business colleague told me that his mother was living in my street in her 80s on her own. Um, she was out the front trying to trim a tree and really get, it was a bit, bit beyond her physically. And this gentleman was walking past and said, would you like, you know, would you like me to help you? You know, so she said, oh, that'd be lovely. So he came in and helped her trim the tree. And she said, you know, while you're here, would you mind? I've got one out the back that needs doing, you know. So <laughs> this fellow, you know, politely went around the back and turned out he was the governor of Queensland at the day, you know. So th he never told the woman that that's who he was. You know, I just think that's the most lovely story about community, that uh, someone in a, you know, lofty office can just help out someone in the street because they happens to live nearby. And that's what, it, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? I love it. 
And what about you, Becky? What does is, what is getting involved in your local community mean? Because I see all sorts of Facebook posts from you. You're posting about what food is happening at the local pub and what events are happening in your local community. There, there are so many opportunities to create resilient, supportive communities. You're aware loneliness is, 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 an, is endemic. Uh, yeah, look, I wrote a whole, the whole chapter is called Immerse Yourself in Your Own Community, because I believe if we're going to be trying to engage communities in decision making, it's kind of handy to know what it's like to be part of a community. Um, so, I mean, that's one reason we should all be doing it just to understand community. But yeah, look, I, I'm a migrant here and I came, you know, I live in McLaren Vale, which is a you know regional area of South Australia. I've, I've owned land here for 14, 15 years now, and I'm still not from around here you know somebody introduced me as new I'm oh this is Becky she's new around here <laughs> like I've been here for 15 years um and you know you, you're not going to be part of the bricks and mortar until you've been here for probably 60 years I'm going to guess and probably even then not you know this is Becky she's from England and so you know I, I I've had children here and it has been really isolating at times and so I find the only way I have human connection with people is to really throw myself into my community. So I've got involved in like the local hospital. I've been on the board of management there and we have various community groups and things that I get involved with. And yeah, when I was back in my drinking days, I set up a thing called Whiny Kids and I was the whiny mum and I'd promote all the, the wineries that you could visit with your kids and families and have lovely meals. And yeah, so I've done a fair bit of putting myself out there. Um, and and these some of these regional country folk find that a bit uh, overwhelming. <laughs> But it's meant that I've connected with quite a few local people. You know, I think I have to work twice as hard because I'm not from around here. So, yeah, it's interesting. Cool. Greg, some last thoughts on, on community engagement. You can, what, what, have, what have you learned from this? Oh, I, I, I've just, I've learned a lot. I, I love Becky's list of what she loathes, but also some of those techniques. But, the, you know, I, I'm taking away, I think, three things that that description of what in, community engagement is about, you know, in giving people the opportunity to be involved in decisions about things that affect them or they're interested in. I think that's brilliant. I, I love the idea of the uh, the keynote listener. I, I think that's something I'm going to suggest to people, uh, you know, to sort of that, that real genuine listening and about having the conversation. What this has reinforced to me is that it's actually really about caring about community and it's about caring about people. And um, one thing I did learn um, as Lord Mayor is that you don't have any power, you've only got influence. And so the ability to bring a community with you and actually provide what I, I was never a politician, I was I did community leadership um, is all about it. And I think in a world where Jesus has to advertise and we're being screamed at to do everything and anything all at the same time and having to adapt and evolve, actually caring about people and caring about communities at, at the really, 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 really core of it. To celebrate what it means to care about the community it is a privilege and, uh, and, and gratitude is a big part of actually health and wellbeing as well. So I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful for the podcast. I'm uh, really grateful for your time, uh, Becky, and uh, Greg's okay as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Becky. Thank you.